How's everybody doing? All right. I'm looking forward to what God has in store for us this coming week, as Pastor Denise announced. We've been inviting each of you to prepare. Hope you've done so. If you haven't, if you're last minute, you still have a week. Um, but let's be in united prayer as we seek God together as a church, really believing that he's going to meet us powerfully. We're going to go to scripture and the passage that we're going to begin in is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. It's a very uh, commonly known passage. It's a passage of Scripture we've taught on, preached on um, numerous times, but it's a seminal passage with respect to the topic of prayer. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about why we should pray. Let's go to Scripture. Matthew, chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus says this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to worship, to be in your presence with your people. We thank you, Lord, for meeting us. And as we go to your word, we pray that you would give us understanding, illuminate your scriptures to us. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus. Fill this very room with your presence and help us, each of us, to hear the voice of God clearly, profoundly in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. If you've been joining with us for the last couple of weeks or perhaps listening to the sermons online, you would know that we're in the middle of a sermon series titled Sankofa. And that word is from an African proverb, and it's an interesting proverb. It's about a story of a bird that in order for it to find its way forward, and get to another town, it loses its way, but in order to regain its way, it has to look back. It has to understand where it came from. And so they capture this proverb through this really interesting image of a bird that its beak is facing backwards, its eyes are looking backwards, but yet it's moving forward. What does this have to do with this series and what we're prayerfully seeking God for? It has a lot to do with it because actually, even though in this series we're talking about distinct spiritual disciplines, we've talked about Sabbath, we've talked about scripture, we're going to begin to talk about prayer, and we're doing this within the context of a season of fasting and prayer. We're talking about these things not as separate, disparate things. We're talking about these things together as a whole from this posture of we want to intentionally look at scripture and discover and understand what scripture teaches us that you and I should commit to, practices we should engage in that help foster intimacy with Jesus. In other words, if you look at the Bible, it's not random. People that were close to God didn't live randomly or unintentionally. They practiced certain things intentionally. They committed to them time and time again and for us, as we move forward as a people that want to intentionally walk with Jesus, we're taking time to look backwards. What does scripture say? What has scripture taught us? 
for people who want to live really tethered lives to Jesus. And what we've shared is that this is going to be a long journey. This is not going to happen overnight. Um, we're going to take actually the space of a couple years and each year unpacking different spiritual disciplines with the intention that that year we all practice them. That we close out the year saying, I actually have lived experience of opening my Bible and reading it, of praying, of fasting, of practicing Sabbath. How good would it be for all of us at the end of this year to say, this year I wasn't just talking about it, I was about it, I did it, I, I, I did the stuff that scripture tells me. And we want to grow in that posture. And what we're going to talk about this week and the following is one of the most important spiritual disciplines and rhythms that we could ever talk about, and that is prayer. If you're, if you're not aware of it yet, let me be the first to tell you that prayer to the follower of Jesus is like oxygen. You can't live without it. It's impossible for a follower of Jesus to actually live for Jesus without prayer being a core essential part of our lives. And toward that end, when we go to scripture and we seek to learn what it means to pray, we can go to no other, no other greater teacher than Jesus himself. You know, what's interesting is that the disciples, they had the opportunity to ask Jesus to teach, him any, to teach them anything that he had done. And look at the things they bypassed. They didn't ask him, could you teach us to walk on water? I don't know about you, that would have been pretty high on my list. They didn't ask him, teach us how to raise the dead. They watched him raise Lazarus from the dead. They didn't ask him that. They didn't ask him, teach us to multiply a little boy's lunch to feed thousands. But they asked him, teach us to pray. They knew that the, his prayer life was the foundation, it's, it was the explanation for why he was able to live the way he lived. And when they asked him that, he taught them this prayer. This prayer is a guide. It's a template. It's, it, it functions as kind of like an instructor of, let this shape how you pray. Let, let me, Jesus is teaching us some important elements that need to be embedded in our prayer and within this prayer, we find such richness of God's word, of God's truth. I have spent so much time in this passage, and yet looking at it again and again and again, each time I walk away with something profound. And this time I was helped by an author, Eugene Peterson. His reflections on this passage took me down this really incredible path where he notices something. I want you to notice it as well. The beginning of the prayer that Jesus is teaching us, toward the end, there's a big change, a big shift. And the shift goes from your to us. Notice what happens. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it shifts. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's subtle but profound. Because what we discover when we sit with that is Jesus teaching us the essence of prayer, the fundamental nature of prayer, the, the, the scaffolding of prayer, if you will. And what we see here is that prayer should begin with God, with his kingdom, his will, his name. And then it shifts to us. Why is that important to note that? Is because if we're honest, and if we search our prayers, how often do our prayers begin with us? And they try to squeeze in toward the end. Oh yeah, God, but you know, whatever you will. It, 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 more often than not, prayer is us bringing our stuff to God, asking him to intervene, asking him to provide, asking him to break through. And now let me be clear. Jesus tells us when we pray, we should bring these things. Like if there's extremes, there's some followers of Jesus who don't talk to him about a lot of things. It's like you're boiling inside. All this stuff is going around and you have not uttered one word to God. It's like he sees, he understands. No, he, he, he wants you to bring it to him. He wants you to talk to him about what you're going through. He invites you and I to ask for daily bread, for sustenance. He, he invites us to pray about our sin, our brokenness, about all the frays in our life that are results from our fallenness. He invites us to pray and have honesty about the sins that we've committed and those that have been committed against us. And he invites us to pray about our temptations to ask God to protect us from evil. You can't be more honest in prayer than to talk about the things that Jesus is telling us to talk about, yet he tells us when you pray, the priority should be your kingdom, your will, your name, before it shifts to give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins. If we're understanding what Jesus is saying about prayer, what we come away with, praying like this will functionally shape us and reshape us like clay on a wheel that's constantly being shaped and molded with the slight touches of the potter. Praying like this is constantly giving God space to shape us, to mold us. To form us. Uh, my my three year old, um, she has Down syndrome, and and as she was born, um, and we see her develop, she's developing amazingly, but very differently than my other kids. And one of the things that we had to do, we had to get her these custom shoes, the cutest little things. Um, but you had to get them these custom made shoes because what uh, her her therapist began to notice, she has physical occupational speech therapist, and they noticed that her feet were kind of like, her ankle was kind of sagging in, uh, the inside. And so it needed to be corrected. 
And so they shape this thing in such a way that as she puts them on, with each step she takes, and boy, does she take a lot of steps. She does not stay still. With each step she takes, it's correcting it. And we're seeing before our eyes, oh, wow, look. It went from being extremely tilted to little by little, it's being shaped correctly. Praying the way Jesus tells us to pray, saying, your kingdom, your name, your will, is a constant correction to the inclination of our hearts to always begin with, what about me? What about my thing? God, this is more important than anything. Praying the way Jesus tells us to pray is a powerful correction. You know, in some ways, the way this kind of makes sense in my mind is that God is teaching us in prayer that he doesn't ignore us. That you are seen. You're so seen. Your life is so seen by God that he tells you, bring your stuff in prayer. Don't hide it. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't deny it. He didn't say, act like you don't have needs. He didn't say, I don't want to hear about your, your forgiveness issues or your needs for provision. No, he says, bring it front and center. You're seen. But he does it in such a way that he doesn't exalt us. It's like, I see you, I'm providing for you, you're my child, but also you are not the ruler of the universe, so slow down there a little bit, you know what I'm saying? And so there's like this real delicate balance that only God could do where he says, you're loved, I see you, you're mine, bring me your needs, but also I'm the king and you're not. I remember I was at dinner once I was like, man, this was before we had kids. And it was a dinner I'll never forget because we were in the process of trying to figure out, like, hey, how are we going to parent our kids? And uh, what, what, what's our agreements? How are we going to shape our kids? And we were at this dinner with this couple, and they had young kids. And the daughter, um, during dinner, she starts, like, throwing things at my face, like paper and, and like, peas. And, it, you know, at first it was cute. Aw, aw. <laughs> You know, I'm a guest. Oh, it's cute. I'm looking at the parents like, you... it's not saying anything, but it's like, at any moment now, you know, you could intervene. And um, nothing. No intervention. No... They celebrated it. It's like, oh, we just you know, want to be free. Want to be, you know, be able to express herself. I was like, sweet Lord, this is crazy. I mean, we left as soon as we got talking, we were like, this will never be part of our philosophy. We will not raise kids to think that life is so much about them that this is okay. But at the same token, if you've ever been in homes where kids are to be seen but not heard, where they're not treated with respect and dignity, where their voice or words don't matter, you know that that's off. And so in prayer, Jesus is correcting this verve in our hearts that, that steers toward, make it about me. He says, no, make it about the king, but also bring your stuff. Bring it. You're seen, you're known, you're acknowledged. But 
if we wrestle with what Jesus is saying, this, man, this is, it, it, it attaches such a weighty responsibility to prayer. One, one theologian said that when Christians bring their hands together in prayer, a revolution begins. What he meant by that is the power, the dynamic power that abides in prayer. I think sometimes it's very easy for us to just relegate prayer to this thing we do in private, this personal devotional practice that we do off on our own, and it has no impact in the world. It's just a cute religious thing that polite people do. It's something you do before meals. It's special occasions or whatever. Yet Jesus attaches to prayer something enormous, immense. He says when we pray and we acknowledge our Father in heaven that his name is to be hallowed, he says our prayers should also focus on asking for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And so immediately what Jesus is doing, he's linking the prayers of God's people with the coming of the kingdom on earth. Are you catching that? If you see the kingdom coming on earth, somewhere at some time, there were people praying for that to happen. If you don't see the kingdom coming, it's because somewhere at some time, people have not been praying for that to happen. God's kingdom coming is attached to our prayers. This is profound. Jesus is inviting you and I to not to just some like, cute little private, oh, that's so nice, thing called prayer. No, he invites us to pray and attached to his instruction on prayer is that your prayers and mine bring the reign and rule of God in increasing measure into our world. Did you know that your prayers carry that kind of weight? That when you pray, heaven isn't saying, What's the cute little things that I'm going to hear today? You know, like, no, you, the, the, the father is waiting. What are they going to ask? Are they going to ask for my kingdom to come? And in response to that prayer, his kingdom comes. His will is done. This is what we're being invited to pray this is why it's important for us to notice the priority that Jesus places in prayer. It begins with your kingdom, your name, your will. Because if we're not careful, it can easily shift to focusing exclusively on our stuff. If we're making sense of this, what Jesus is saying is praying for your personal needs is best done under the lordship of the king. In other words, the child of God won't fully know what they need until they fully know what the king wants, what God our Father wants. We begin with your kingdom before we ask for our stuff.
but we must pray for the kingdom to come. Pray for our stuff, yes, but you and I must pray for the kingdom to come. If you looked at your prayer request and mine, kind of lined them up, looked at the details, I wonder what balance would our prayers strike? How much of our prayers are focused on his kingdom versus how much of our prayers are focused on our kingdom, on our stuff? And which comes, which, which happens first? Which is given the first priority? His kingdom or our needs? Jesus is inviting us into a profound journey with him. A journey that looks something like this. As you and I follow Jesus in this world, in our daily life, we're going to encounter so many situations where we will see either the rule and reign of God increasing or we will see the rule and reign of God absent. We'll see justice and beauty growing or we'll see corruption and destruction growing. We'll, we'll find ourselves in places, where, oh, look, relationships are fostering, they're developing, there's beautiful things happening. Or we'll say, oh, man, people are still being left out. They're still being marginalized. They're still... We'll, we'll see all these extremes. And what you and I are invited to do, whenever you see the kingdom coming, you and I should pray for more of it. But whenever we see the absence of God's kingdom, we should pray for his rule and reign to come in those areas. No change in this world happens apart from that being our posture. As, as much as I believe the, the criticisms that are leveled against the church are valid, there are so many things throughout the history of God's people where we have got it so wrong and we dishonored God and we didn't see the image of God in people and, and we're part of some really awful moments in history. And as Christians, I would encourage you, don't try to gloss over that. Don't try to make the church look squeaky clean. We are not. We've messed up on so many occasions. Own it. Say, yeah, the church is full of hypocrites. Yeah, you're right. The church has done some really jacked. Yes, it has. Our, we're not seeking to lift up the church. We're seeking to lift up Jesus. And he is the flawless, perfect one. And so, yes, let's own the stuff. But also, let's also own the amazing history of God's people that in response to prayer and seeking him, humility, that we have been in the middle of seeing God do tremendous things in our world. It's through praying people, asking for the kingdom to come, that abolitionists were inspired to end the slave trade, that, that, that child labor laws were fought against, that hospitals were built, that, that, that educational institutions to serve people on the margins. For all the things that Christians have missed it, there is a powerful history of people praying for the kingdom to come and watching our world be transformed. What do we need to pray about today, now, in our day, in our city? 
in our relationships, in our life, in our workplaces. Jesus is saying we need to always keep the kingdom at the forefront of our prayers. But I would be remiss to not give you the full honest picture if I didn't tell you that praying for God's kingdom to come is not always easy. Wanting God's will, pursuing God's will, his kingdom in our lives doesn't exclude us from pain, from suffering, from anguish. And we look to no one else or no further than when we see Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at what scripture teaches us. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. There's so much that can be said about that passage. I just want you to notice a few things. We know as we study the Gospels that up until this point, Jesus was very clear that he would be crucified. This was not surprising to him. He was prepared for this moment. He knew it was the will of God for him. This is what he came into this world to do. And yet, moments before, we find him in a state of deep sorrow and agony and just heavy prayer. Now, people, theologians, scholars have reflected on this for centuries, and there's so much that can be said. What I want to focus on is this. Praying for God's will to be done. Praying in anticipation and preparation for you and I to walk out God's will. Having clarity on God's will. Some of you are saying, I don't know what God's will is for my life. But some of you say, no, I, I have a sense. I believe God is calling me to go in this direction. What this passage lets us know is that it's possible to know God's will, to have clarity on it and yet to find yourself in a state of sorrow as you fulfill it. Let me pause there because I think that went over some heads. Let me just make sure that this lands because this is important. If you and I think that praying for the kingdom to come and doing God's will will lead to a life of perfect bliss, and no sorrow, no difficulty, no stress, no sacrifice, then Jesus has another thing coming to us. He, he's in the will of the Father. He's fulfilling God's will, and yet, even in the midst of it, he's experiencing intense sorrow. If you're like me, perhaps when you first followed Jesus, this is the bill of goods that I was sold. I was told, follow Jesus, and he's, he's going to bless you, give you peace. He's just, it's just going to be an amazing life. 
Um, like, it, like he's never going to tell you no. He's just always going to tell you yes. He's going to be your biggest cheerleader. Um, he's never going to correct you. They didn't say that, but it was implied with, with just this sense of like, follow Jesus and it's going to be a life of divine ease. I've found that to be utterly false. Especially when we have clarity of God's kingdom, his will, it doesn't mean you won't experience agony, sorrow, pain, discomfort. Do you think people that were praying for the kingdom to come during the civil rights era didn't experience sorrow, pain? Do you think when prayers for women uh, in the suffrage movement, for them to be treated with dignity and value and worth, that that wasn't met with prayer. I mean, sorrow and difficulty and struggle. It, it, we could go on and on and on. Clarity of God's will, pursuing his kingdom, does not mean it will be an easy path, a path that's not riddled with sorrow and struggle. Why is that important? Because in that sorrow, in that struggle, as we pursue his kingdom, what's happening is we are bowing our knee. I remember years ago, I met uh, a group of Jews who had professed faith in Jesus. And now these were men and women that grew up in the Jewish faith and they had come to a place where they recognized Jesus is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And now to follow Jesus in their context, they lost ties with their family. Their families disowned them. Many of them were written out of their wills. Um, they were just left to, alone. It cost them something to follow Jesus. And I'll never forget, they were reflecting on a friend who had just came to faith in Jesus. And the way they described it, they said, so-and-so just bowed the knee. They didn't say he started coming to church. They didn't say he said a prayer. They said he bowed the knee. When we pray for the kingdom to come and we wrestle with our own desires, our own, where we wrestle like Jesus, it, it, if this cup can pass from me, take it. But nevertheless, your will, what's happening is we are bowing the knee in that process. We're recognizing you're the king, I'm not. Your will be done, not mine. Praying like this, the way Jesus teaches us to pray, it shapes us, it transforms us, but it also puts us on the cutting edge, on the front lines of the kingdom coming on earth, seeing the will of God done, You know, your, if your experience of following Jesus is boring, if it's not life-giving, if it doesn't wake you up in the morning, you could probably find the origins of that boredom in your prayer life. Because if our prayers are only, Jesus, provide this promotion, get me more money, really want to go on vacation to this place and 
Are those inherently bad things? No, but you could be praying for the kingdom to come. First, and then praying for those other things. To pray for the kingdom to come assures us, links us to the most exciting work that's happening in the world right now. Right now, the most exciting thing that's happening is wherever we see the kingdom coming and advancing and breaking out and growing, where we see darkness push back and justice emerge and beauty and transformed lives, where we see people discover their purpose that God created them for, where their souls are washed from their sins and they're made new. That's happening in the world every single day throughout our city, throughout our nation, all over the earth. And you and I get to pray in such a way that our lives get linked to that. Or we can just settle for praying for our stuff and miss the opportunity for your life and mine to be linked to the most amazing thing our lives could ever be linked to, the kingdom of God coming. As we close, as I invite the worship team to come forward, I want to end with this passage that I think really grounds all of this. To pray for the kingdom to come is a bold prayer. Uh, it, it's a prayer that pushes you against, like, resistant stuff. When you pray for the kingdom to come, it pushes, you, it pushes against your desire and my desire for our kingdoms. It pushes against that. When you and I pray for the kingdom to come, it pushes against the kingdoms of men and the kingdom of darkness that exists in the world. So what do we need when we pray prayers like this? We need authority. We need power. We need something more than just us. And the good news is Jesus gives us that very thing. John chapter 14, verse 12 to, 13, to 14, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. To ask for the kingdom to come requires that we have the authority of the king. And Jesus has given us that authority. When we pray in the name of Jesus, that's not attaching Jesus' name at the end of a prayer. That's not what he meant. He didn't say, say some words, and at the end of it, just attach my name to it, and that's praying in my name. Actually, it's ancient language. It means to pray under the, to, to be under the authority of another. You speak in their name, when you come under their name. So Jesus is saying, when you and I pray, Father, hears the authority of Jesus through us. You come under the authority of Jesus' name. 
That's why we audaciously pray when people are sick that in the name of Jesus they would be healed. That's why we pray audaciously when we see injustice and all sorts of brokenness in our world. We pray in the name of Jesus that that would be changed. That's why when things happen in our workplaces that don't reflect the rule and reign of God, we pray in the name of Jesus that that would be turned upside down. We pray in the authority of Jesus' name. I hope that what we're gathering today from Jesus' words is a fire to pray, a desire to pray, because we're realizing that to pray puts us in the center of seeing the kingdom coming. And that when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are praying with divine authority. We pray in his name. Can I invite us to stand? And as we do so, I want to invite us to pray in a specific way. As the worship team leads us in these next few moments, as the prayer team is in the back, at any moment, you can slip out of your seat and go to the back and receive prayer from the prayer team. They would love to pray with you regarding any of the words that were shared or anything the message might have stirred. would love to pray with you. All you have to do is slip out of your seat. While we're praying now, could I invite us, could we raise our hands in the presence of God? And as we do so, could we begin to pray for the kingdom to come? What in your life needs the kingdom to come? Where do you see the absence of the kingdom of God? In our world, in our city, in your life? Begin to pray right now. Maybe your family, you see the need for the rule and reign of God. Family members struggling, brokenness and addiction, relationships afraid. Maybe there's something in our world that's piercing you and saying, this is not what heaven looks like. God, we want heaven to come on earth. Whatever that is, let's lift that up to God. Let's pray for the kingdom to come. Let's pray for God's will to be done. Let's bow the knee.